Good morning. Hey, first things first, I'd like to ask my lovely wife, Kim, to come up here on stage with me, if she would, for just a minute. If you were here last week, you know that today is our 24th wedding anniversary. And, um, yeah, and, 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 um, and if you were here last week, you know that I preached about the fear of rejection and how I was afraid that she might reject me when I would ask her out before I had ever made that first big step of doing so. Her brother had told me not to ask her out and all that. But anyway, the fear of failure, the fear of failure has even been a bigger deal. After she said yes, we've been married now 24 years today. Uh, I have failed, or I mean I have feared failing. I have failed at times. But I have feared failure oftentimes and that I would you know, somehow let her down. But, um, but here's the deal. That is because marriage is difficult, right? Everybody knows that. Marriage is difficult, doesn't matter how long you've been married, doesn't matter how much you love each other, doesn't matter how perfect you are for one another, marriage is difficult. Anybody who tells you otherwise is either single or just a newlywed or they're selling something, but, um, but it's difficult. But our marriage is working, and that is because we have kept the Lord first in our marriage as much as we possibly can, and that is happening mostly because of her, because of her desire and her commitment to putting the Lord first in every way, being faithful to him, faithful to me, of course, but faithful to the Lord and and uh, working with me, putting up with me, even when I'm, you know, selfish or lazy or whatever. And I just really admire that, appreciate that. I would just tell you this. I would probably not be your pastor or at least not the pastor I am today without her. And so with a few friends here, um, it works better if you stand up on something. So how about stand up on there, don't fall. That, that, that works a lot better, doesn't it? <laughs> so, but um, in front of all of our friends, I just want to say thank you for being my best friend, for being my wife. I love you more than words can express. So you all can close your eyes. I just want to get it. So you're all dismissed. See you next week. That's it. Now you can... <laughs> no, um, the fear of rejection is different than the fear of failure. And that's what I want to talk about today, the difference between them. The fear of rejection has to do with how we perceive others are going to react to us. Whereas the fear, fear of failure is more about our own internal standards that we set for ourselves. Now, some people don't fear failure a whole lot because they honestly don't aim very high. Zig Ziglar once put it like this. He said, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. And some people really do live there. I mean, that's just where they're at. And so they don't fear failure that much. But if you are more inclined to, um, to, to be competitive by nature or have high standards, maybe as a perfectionist, or if you maybe have failed disastrously in some capacity in the past and you sure don't want to go down that road again, then you are probably more inclined to deal with the fear of failure. You know, the fear of failure can impact us in some very significant ways. Let me just share with you a few. Think about it. It can stifle vision. If you struggle with the fear of failure, you probably tend to try only safe and simple things that you're confident you can succeed at, um, often meaning you don't aim very high. Fear of failure can also limit friendships. If this is you, you tend to avoid people who you find intimidating because of success in fear that they might make you look bad or at least make you feel bad about yourself. Fear of failure can even erode your faith. If this is you, you probably don't experience the maturity that comes from having to really depend upon God 
because you tend to avoid stepping out in faith and walking with God down anything that seems scary to you in fear that it might um, you know, be more than you can handle. And therefore, you stay rather shallow in your relationship with the Lord. Fear can eliminate excitement because we just tend to stay in our own comfort zone and never step out and, and take risks, failing to remember that old saying, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Fear can even damage our personality, making us irritable, robbing us of sleep, uh, making us tired, grumpy, and all that, hard to live with. Some people try hard to act as if they're not afraid of failure and put up a big front acting all confident and all of that, when in reality, down inside, they are anything but. And in so doing, these people tend to become overly aggressive, even sometimes obnoxious, and therefore short on healthy relationships. But most of all, fear of failure ultimately displeases God because it shows a lack of trust in him and it is evidence that we are leaning towards self-reliance and self-centeredness self-assuredness again i quoted last week second timothy chapter one when the bible says god says he has not given us a spirit of fear but one of power and love and self-discipline or sound mind you know god wants us to be humble yes but he also wants us to have a holy confidence as we walk with him by walking with him through life. And that's what brings out the best in us. And I can't think of anyone in the Bible who better illustrates the, whose story better illustrates the fear of failure than the character of Moses. Now, Pastor Kent Gordon did an amazing job preaching about some of Moses' story just a few weeks ago. So at the risk of sounding like I represent the Department of Redundancy Department, can we just talk about Moses again today? Um, after all, most of us need to be reminded of stuff we already know, but just aren't really living out, then we need to hear something brand new anyway. So if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus, uh, second book in the Bible, Exodus chapter 3. You can follow along on the screen if you wish as well. But for 40 years, Moses had tended sheep in Midian, and he appeared pretty content with his life. He didn't appear to feel to uh, need to impress people or climb any ladders. So when God challenged him to be a deliverer or a leader in that capacity, Moses tried his best to weasel out of that assignment, mostly because of the fear of failure. So let's review this familiar story, and then let's try to draw out some, some takeaways, some lessons that hopefully can help us as we go through our lives today and deal with the callings that God places in our lives. You probably know the story well. While tending sheep for his father-in-law, Jethro, Moses saw a bush that was burning, but not burning up. And he was told to take off his sandals as he approached because he was standing on holy ground in the presence of Almighty God. It goes like this, Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. Then he, God, said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, whom we talked about last week. At this, Moses hid his face because he was terrified to look at God. Now, that was an appropriate fear, uh, a holy respect for the awesomeness of God. Verse 7 continues, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out, up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a.k.a. the promised land. Then in verse 10, he says, so now go, Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. 
Wow, now pause there and think about that. That was an enormous, terrifying assignment. I mean, think about it. Put yourself in Moses' sandals. That, I think, would have scared about anybody who heard God tell him or her to do such a thing. In fact, let's pause right there. and Let me just ask you, what is God maybe calling you to do that scares you? Like maybe Moses was scared in that moment. What is it that God is calling you to do, asking of you that you might hesitate or waffle about because you are also scared? Maybe he's calling some young person in here to enter ministry, to forget all the more lucrative other job opportunities and to pursue being a pastor. Maybe he's calling somebody in here to go on a mission trip or maybe even to be a full-time missionary, you know, to go into a foreign country, to sacrifice other things, vacation time and money and all of that to serve and to minister to others, sleeping on hard floors and eating strange food and, and uh, dealing with language issues and all of that. Maybe he's calling you to make a commitment to marriage, finally, you know, to ask the big question, to finally do so. Maybe you've done that, and he's calling you instead to step up and be the parent that you need to be, that your kids so desperately need you to be. Maybe God's calling you to adopt a child, maybe from nearby or maybe from another foreign country. Or maybe he's calling you to step up to be a foster parent to some other child in great need. Maybe he's calling you to quit your job for some reason, to go into a new career path and honor him in something brand new. Maybe he's calling you to stop doing something. Maybe it's here at Impact, or maybe it's some other place in the community. He's calling you to stop doing that so that you can return to your first love, as talked about in Revelation 2 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, to make sure that beyond above everything else, you are spending time alone with him as your first priority. Or maybe he's calling you to start doing something here at church, to start volunteering and serving others, Maybe that's helping Debbie downstairs with the children's ministry or in the nursery. Or maybe that's to serve on the worship team or be a life group leader or volunteer as an usher. Whatever it may be, if he's calling you to do something new or unfamiliar, it can be scary, right? We've all been there. It can be scary. Plus, how do you know if it's really him talking? Unlike Moses, you haven't heard an audible voice, probably, I would doubt. You haven't seen a burning bush. So how do you know if that voice in your head that you perceive to maybe be a calling from God is really God's voice? Well, I remember growing up as a kid and listening to my dad preach all the time. And I remember one particular Sunday when he preached kind of about this topic. And he shared a story about a young boy, much like himself, who had grown up on a farm. Dad grew up on a farm as well. And this young boy was in a cornfield and doing, doing his work for his dad and, and just wanting so bad to hear from God. And so he was talking and praying with God about God's plan for his life and what he might want him to do. And all of a sudden, the clouds began to part. And he looked up and he saw clear as day the letters formed out of clouds, G, P, C. And he knew in an instant that was God saying, go preach Christ. And he was like, wow, thank you, Lord. And so he, um, so he finished high school, he finished helping his dad, and he went straight into ministry. He started preaching God's Word. Unfortunately, he was just a pretty terrible preacher. Not going well. He wasn't doing well at all, but he was trying. And, and uh, <clears throat> as he was doing so, one day, a particular older lady at the small church he was preaching at had to endure an especially boring sermon. And she came up after the sermon and, 
and ask him about how he'd gotten into ministry. And he was telling her that whole story. And, you know, the clouds parted and there they were, you know, the letters clear as day, you know, G, P, C, uh, go preach Christ. And I just knew that's what God wanted me to do. And she goes, son, maybe it meant go plant corn. (laughs) And, um, you know, maybe, but, uh, and I laughed as a kid as well, but I tell you what, I also got a little nervous when you think through stuff like that. You're like, well, how do you know what God's will is for your life? If he doesn't, Put it in the clouds for you or send a burning bush or speak to you with an audible voice. How do you know? Well, let me just briefly share. It's a little off topic, but just briefly, let me share with you three questions you need to ask yourself whenever you are wondering what God's will is for your life in some specific area. Three questions to ask yourself. One would be this. Is it consistent with God's word? God will never contradict himself or his holy word. I once had a a man right here in my office, come and sit, wanted to sit down and talk with me. And he shared with me how he felt led by God. God was calling him to leave his wife and to go and be with this other woman who had gone through some terribly difficult, traumatic things, which that was very true. He felt very called by God to leave his wife and go be with, sleep with, live with this other woman so as to comfort her and help her. We talked it through for a while. He told me he had other affairs and all these different things that he had, he explained to me. And he goes, I just want to know, what do you think? And I said, look, I'll just be real blunt with you. Um, God may very well be calling somebody to help her through all that she's going through. That is really terrible, all the stories that he had shared about her life. That's terrible. But I guarantee you God is not calling you to leave your wife and go sleep with her. I guarantee you that. And he goes, well, now, I heard, I've heard very clearly from God. And he started really arguing with whether or not, it was appropriate for me to question God's call in his life. And I said, I don't, I, I don't have to hesitate on this. I know God is not calling you to do that because I know what God's word says about being faithful to your own wife and about what he says about adultery. And I know that as clear as day. Because again, friends, God's call in your life, God's call will never contradict the Bible, uh, never go against anything he has said there which in addition to developing an intimate relationship with him is one more reason we need to know and read and love and and fall in love more and more all the time with his holy word so as to better understand and hear or truly discern his calling, the voice in our head, whether or not it's from him or whether it's just from our own heart or thoughts. All right, a second question to ask yourself if you want to hear God's call is this. Is this call being confirmed by godly people who know me well And love me enough to tell me the truth, even if I don't want to hear it. You know, God often speaks to us through the wise counsel of other people, but they need to be people who they themselves love the Lord or walking with him, and people who know us well and love us enough to tell us the truth. A third question. Is this potential calling in an area that God has gifted me? Now, again, this might be something you can use help from somebody else to help you discern, but... God's not going to call you to do something that he won't equip you to do as well. You know, there's a difference between seeing a need and hearing God's call. There are way more needs in this world than you can possibly step up and meet all by yourself. We, we all know that, right? And so just because you see a need and God allows you to see a need does not mean that he's necessarily calling you to meet that need. Now, he might be, but he might not be as well. I would tell you, I think he will always call you to specific needs and that they will match how he has gifted you, which sometimes you need somebody else to help you be able to see 
Well, God clearly called Moses, clear as day, called Moses to go and lead the people of Israel out of bondage from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But Moses was very scared to step up and answer the call, and he made excuse after excuse after excuse. And Pastor Kent did a great job talking about that just a few weeks ago. Let me just hit on one of those. Um, Chapter 3, verse 11, he said this um, to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? In other words, God, I don't have any credentials. Who am I to do that? I'm not... I'm not some kind of negotiator. I'm just simply a shepherd. The truth is that God doesn't call the equipped nearly as often as he equips the called. But even in this case, Moses was actually more qualified than he wanted to admit. God had been preparing him for this task for decades, working behind the scenes in ways that Moses did not even understand, but working all things together for good, as he promises to do in Romans 8.28. All things together for good, when Moses had no clue. Think about it. Moses had been reared in that palace for 40 years. He knew the place inside and out. He knew protocol. He understood how things worked. On top of that, he knew this desert forwards and backwards as well after traveling in it for so long. Moses knew three languages, which would, of course, be very helpful. And most of all, he learned how to lead sheep. And since there's not a whole lot of difference between sheep and most of us, he was better prepared than he wanted to acknowledge but fear tends to blind all of us as it did him to the qualifications and giftedness that we have from god and it leads us to become deaf toward his voice but we need to hear what moses heard which is god almighty telling us to remember that if we go somewhere that he has called us to go we never go alone And that he will not only be with us, but that there is nothing better than knowing that we go and represent the Almighty, the great I Am. Here's how God put it to Moses in Exodus 3, verse 14. He said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Friends, there is no greater authority, no greater name. If God is for us, who can be against us? We have nothing to fear if we are going on behalf of the Lord. Well, nevertheless, despite this, Moses continued to make excuses. And you can read the rest of the story later on your own. But Moses eventually ran out of excuses, so he just kind of gave up on that and just said, please, just please, somebody else. Here's how he put it. Verse 13 of chapter 4. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. He simply didn't want to do it. He realized that his excuses weren't working. God had answered all of those, but he just didn't want to go. He was letting the fear of failure win the battle. But God didn't let him off the hook, did he? If you know the story, you know that this wasn't just about Moses. This was about at least probably two million other people that God wanted to use Moses to help, not to mention the billions of people since then that have walked in the wake of all of this and learned from it, you and I included. The Bible even says that God's anger burned against Moses. Now, he did allow Moses' brother Aaron to go with him and help him. I guess you could say kind of like a press secretary to do some of the talking for him. But he told him to take that staff and to go. He said, Moses, take that staff and, that you have in your hand and go and quit doubting and just trust me and obey me and step into this calling that I have placed before you. And Moses finally said 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And he obeyed. Now, he may have gone trembling all the way, but he did what God called him to do. And then think about all that happened. Now, you would think that since Moses obeyed God and answered his call, he would experience immediate and and consistent success. You know, the people are naturally going to say, oh, thank you. Moses is finally here. Praise God. We'll do whatever you want us to do. And Pharaoh would say, oh, Moses, on behalf of God, is here. Then, sure, what do you want? I'll let him go, of course, you know, whatever. But if you know the story, you know that's not at all the way it worked out. Moses experienced one disappointing setback after another. Let me just list a few of them. The Israelites, first of all, were terrible followers, um, complaining and arguing with Moses constantly. Talk about taking the wind out of your sails. Secondly, Pharaoh scoffed at the idea of releasing the slaves and even threatened Moses with his life. Pharaoh's court magicians mimicked God's miracles and undermined Moses' authority. And only after God sent ten horrible plagues did Pharaoh reluctantly, temporarily, agree to let the people go. Then there was the entrapment by the Red Sea, right? With a seemingly impassable ocean before them and a cloud of dust behind them as Pharaoh and his army approached. God, of course, miraculously allowed them to part or to walk across the Red Sea, walk through it as it parted for them. But then, after that, um, there was still the, the, uh, uh, the quail and the manna that God had to deliver to them because there was the threat of starvation and all of that. And after that, there was still grumbling and more complaining, even outright rebellion by the people. Toward the end of it all, there was cowardice as they neared the promised land. Fear based on what they saw, which was giants, rather than, rather than trust in what they heard, which was God's voice and calling. For 40 years, Moses endured potentially back-breaking failure after back-breaking failure. The journey was only about 250 miles, experts tell us, uh, across that desert. And according to those experts, it could have been completed in a matter of probably 11 days, maybe two weeks at the most. But again, it took them how long? 40 years. All because of disobedience that was largely rooted in fear. You know, everyone over 20 years old died in the wilderness, except for two, just Joshua and Caleb. And to top it off, Moses himself never even got to go into the promised land. He was allowed to go up onto the top of a mountain and see the promised land off in a distance, but there he died. If the Palestine press, if you will. If the Palestine press wrote an obituary for Moses, it might have looked like this. Controversial leader dies without accomplishing mission. With a subheading of followers mixed on Moses' effectiveness since most never saw the promise fulfilled. See, Moses' calling was frightening. It, it, it was almost never fulfilling and, and it definitely was not fun. I mean, it was a difficult task. But there is still so much good in it and so much for us to learn because so much of his calling might be more similar to our calling than what we might first think. So with the time we have left, I'd like to briefly share with you four lessons that I think we can all learn from the story of Moses and how we deal with the fear of failure. If you're filling in the blanks, here you go. Number one is understand that fear is normal. It is normal, and in some cases, it can even be positive. You know, when Moses was frightened, he was just being realistic. 
there was danger, there was death lurking on the other side, and we need to understand that some fear is normal and that God can actually even work through that in some cases um, to use it for good. Think about it. If you're afraid, it might motivate you to enlist help, to talk to the Lord more, to enlist help from others as well, to be more humble, to pray more, to prepare more. Sometimes overconfidence can be our worst enemy, right? Statistics tell us that the most dangerous pilot is the one who has between 100 and 200 hours of experience. They have enough experience to gain confidence and opportunity, but not enough experience to truly know what is before them or how to handle it when it comes their way. Speaking of the rest of the story, the late great Paul Harvey once said, People who introduce me when I've been asked to speak somewhere always do better when they're a little nervous because they prepare. But those who get up and just think they can talk off the cuff are invariably the ones who stumble and fail. Some fear is normal, and God can even use it for good. Number two, second lesson to learn from Moses' story about the fear of failure is that we need to confront, confront the fear. Don't let the dread of failure prevent you from taking risks that God might be calling you to. He's calling you to these, and if so, confront the fear. Again, if you were here last week, you heard me tell the story about when Kim and I first, uh, when I first asked her on a date and how I was afraid of doing that. But um, before we actually even got to that place, I was afraid of something else. I w- and this is illogical. It makes no sense. But I had been not only single my whole life, I had been like in a small town in Oklahoma for three years where there were no single women except like 80-year-olds and 18-year-olds, and those were both off limits. So therefore, I had not been on a date or even considered a date for years. And so I met Kim. I very much felt called by God to pursue her, but I also was scared to death of touching her. Is that weird or what? I was just afraid to even touch her. And so um, one time we were, we were on a, a hike not far from here, up by Sedalia, just north of here, with her brother, the one that I mentioned last week, who, who had told me, hey, you, you know, no offense, but you shouldn't even ask her out because she's not going to go out with you. Well, anyway, um, so I had that in my head, and we were, but we were hanging out, he and his girlfriend, and then Kim and I just kind of tagging along for fun. And we were hiking this trail near Sedalia, and there was a little stream and kind of a steep bank on the other side. So it was kind of like this. So wind came up, stood up, reached back, took the hand of his girlfriend and helped her across and kept on going. I followed, and I stepped across the stream and jumped up here. I told you I was afraid of touching her. And so at that point, I'm like, I need to hold her. Oh, I don't want to do that. So I looked down, and I went, here, and I held out a stick. Is that pathetic or what? I'm like, oh. And so I didn't know what I was doing. She kind of was like, okay, and took the stick and, you know, falls. Ah, it's very embarrassing, but, um, but it makes the point. I was scared to death of failing in this whole realm, and so I didn't want to touch her. But um, fortunately, she, the failure, which was epic in my, you know, in reality, it really was. Her brother, of course, has never let me live that down. But fortunately, Kim was kind of like, you know, not that big a deal. She kind of smiled and laughed it off and kept going. But uh, fortunately, also, there was a time not too long after that that I was given an opportunity to hold her hand again, and I went for it. We held hands, and we've been holding hands ever since. Today's our anniversary, so there you go. But, um, you know, um, fear is normal, 
But sometimes we do need to confront that fear. We do need to extend that hand or, or adopt that child or trust the Lord and his word that scares us or step up and volunteer in whatever capacity he's called us to that we're afraid to. If God calls you to step up or step out in faith into something scary, then I, you know, I go with the old Nike slogan, just do it. Just do it and trust him. Because when you do, you will eventually hear the words from him, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Now come and enjoy what I have prepared for you. And I'll tell you, my friends, there is nothing better than knowing on this side of that conversation with the Lord, knowing that you are doing all you can to walk with him and trust him and follow his lead in the details of your life. There is nothing better than that. Uh, It just feels amazing. And if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes that means confronting fear, though, and trusting God enough to step out and go where he calls us to go, even though we might not want to. All right, a third lesson we can learn from Moses is this. We need to expect failure. Expect it because it is an inevitable part of success. Success is always predicated with some failure. Moses' success wasn't instantaneous and it wasn't without setback. And your story might very well be the same. But failure does not mean that you are on the outside looking in in terms of God's will. It does not mean that he has abandoned you or that you are, you know, lost. Sometimes failure can be our best teacher and God can work through it in great ways as he did in the life of Moses. The key is not avoid failure at all costs. The key is get up one more time than you get knocked down by the time it's all said and done. You know, as you've probably heard me say before, if you've been here long, when I look in the rearview mirror of my life, hopefully just like you, I can see moments of growth and maturity in my life in that rearview mirror. And when I do that, I see most of them coinciding with times of struggle and difficulty, oftentimes failure, things that I have looked back on and go, oh man, that was hard, that was brutal. But God can turn it into brutal things in the sense that he helps me grow through that. And I praise God for how he has done that for me. You know, that's one of the things I love about baseball. If a baseball player makes an out two out of three times, that means he has a 333 batting average. One third of the time he is a success, two thirds of the time he is a failure. And if he can end his career with a 333 batting average or better, he's almost a shoe-in for the Hall of Fame. Do you know how many baseball players have played the game since it professionally since it began, which was in the 1800s? Almost 20,000 people have played baseball. Guess how many of them, don't look and cheat by using Google, guess how many of them have finished their career with a 333 or better average, meaning that they failed two out of every three times they came up to the, la- to the plate. 20,000 baseball players, 27 of them finished with a 333 batting average or better out of 20,000. You see, failure, failure does not mean I'm accomplishing nothing. It means I have learned something. Failing does not mean I am a failure. It just means I have not yet succeeded. Failure does not mean I should give up. It just means I need to try harder. Failure does not mean I will never make it. It just means I need more patience. So don't panic if you look in the rearview mirror of your life and you see some downturns here and there, some points along the 
the graph that looked like, wow, that was a low point. Okay, okay. But God can use that as he did in Moses' life. All right, fourth, final thing to learn from Moses' life as we also learn to deal with the fear of failure is this. Redefine. We all need to redefine success in terms of doing God's will rather than meeting our own goals. Learn to define success as meeting God's will as opposed to meeting our own goals. If you determine success by personal or human standards, you are bound for discouragement and will probably find yourself overcome with fear over and over and over. But God's ways are not our ways. As he, I love this verse, as he says in Isaiah, we need to remember, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So trust his ways. By the world's standards, Moses' life appeared a failure, right? Of course it did. But from God's perspective, Moses' life was a great success because at the end of the day, he was walking with the Lord in humility and obedience, even when he didn't want to, even when it was hard, even when he had made excuses and said no initially. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 and following, toward the end of the Bible, talk about Moses again. It says this, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of a Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Wow, looking ahead to his reward. You know, Moses was not perfect, right? Of course he was not. He was just like you and me in many ways. He had all kinds of fears and struggles. He made excuses. But remember, his fears and struggles were based on his own personal standards, whereas his successes, which largely came late in life, his successes were based on his obedience to God's call. So over time, he learned to redefine success in terms of doing God's will rather than trying to meet his own goals. And friends, we need to learn from his story, learn from God's word in this way, and follow this example. As we close today, What do you say we learn from Moses and all agree to learn to also redefine success in terms of doing God's will rather than trying to meet our own goals? And how about also doing what the Bible says he did? Look ahead toward our reward. Keep our eyes fixed on what really matters in this life, which is the things to come after this life. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. I love that. Maybe maybe your life right now looks like a success on the outside. Maybe. Or at least you're trying to make it so. But down inside, you feel an emptiness because you know that you're doing it the wrong way. That you're focused on self and your own goals. And spiritual failure after spiritual failure has been plaguing you. Friends, I just want to tell you, you don't have to stay there. I want to encourage you to say, Lord, it doesn't matter how old I am. Moses was pretty old when God called him. And you can also in the same way say, Lord, I am all yours. The rearview mirror is filled with mistakes, but I want to learn from that and let you use that to help me be who you want me to be from this point forward. I've asked, uh, we've asked 
four of our young men to come and sing a song that is new that I would guess most of you have not heard before. It is um, powerful. And uh, there's a story behind it. Two of these young men, Brandon here and my son Garrett over there on the base, uh, went on a mission trip recently to a poor part of Colorado, down in Alamosa, kind of the forgotten part of Colorado in that, in that uh, uh, area there that is so poor, and ministered to people. And God used them to do incredible ministry, even change people's lives, lead people to the Lord, but step out in boldness which is what the song is about. Step out in boldness in ways that had not happened before for most of them in this world. And so uh, this song was a song that they sang a lot. In fact, Brandon, if you could tell us, step up. Yeah, here, I'll give you this. Tell, tell us just a little bit about that song and how it, this song and how it impacted you and how you guys as a team sang it a lot. Yeah, for sure. So um, that's loud. Um, so we sang it a lot during devotions and as Pastor was saying, we did a whole bunch of street evangelism, and we'd go out, and we'd just go knocking on doors, and we did a whole bunch of just talking to random people, and for a lot of us, that was new, so it took a lot of, as the song will say, boldly I approach your th- throne, it took a lot of that same boldness just to step out in that faith and to listen to what God wanted us to do and listen to his voice and allow him to guide us in the conversations that he wanted to have, wanted us to have and allow him to direct our path. So as we were, um, we'd, we'd listen to this song a lot during our devotion times and stuff like that. And it just was that constant reminder to be bold and intentional and have purpose in your walk with God, which is why I really like this song. So. And so Kim and I said, hey guys, would you be willing to sing this song and lead our people, introduce it to us and I want to encourage you to stand with me right now, for one. You do that, we stand, and as, as these young men sing this song for us, you can sing along if you want, but just listen to it. And if God speaks to you in such a way as to motivate you to want to step forward, then I want to invite you. I would love to meet you right down here at front, at the front of the stage, and just pray with you and talk with you. Um, Maybe you want to just come and kneel and surrender to the Lord something that's coming between you and Him. Maybe you want to stand up and say, you know what, I've never been baptized. I need to do so. I want to do it right here, right now, today. Maybe that's you. I don't know what it is, but as they sing about boldness, would you contemplate what God might be calling you to do? And if He calls you to step forward, then do it. And, and let's, uh, let's move forward in that way with Him. Guys, would you sing it for us?